What's up, little biscuits and sudried tomatoes? Before we start this bonus episode of Tati and I's Tribeca Film Festival experience, Justin, we got to call Idris. Ooh, wee. Let's call Idris, baby. All right. Got to call him on my fucking flip phone. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hey, what's up, you little crumpet? How you doing, sir? I'm doing all right, you little doo-doo. Ew, what, what the? That's your best <laughs> comeback, Idris? Don't you have riders and stuff? I don't have a writer right now, so therefore, what are you doing right now? I know we always call you at random times over in London. Actually, I'm in LA. Oh, what are you doing in LA? I'm just chilling out by the pool. Chilling out by the pool. Oh, I I missed that time. Yeah, yeah. I used to dip my little feet in the pool, get a little water on my hair, hairy legs and stuff. I know the feeling. Uh, But we do have some new. What? Oh, you know, off the off the curb. You know, as the water starts to trickle into the into the sewer that's good it's a short joke brandon it's all just right. short well you, all right you bow-legged motherfucker. Your little feet your little feet all right well we got some returning patriots and some brand new patriots uh thank you again for making time for us idris i will expedite the shipping of your peanuts no i won't uh our first returning patriot is jeremy conley jeremy thank you for being a patriot Again, you said again, returning. Yes, right? yes, returning. Yes. yes. Well, I know you, English just, isn't your first language, but yes, it's returning. No, I just can't hear you with your little bitch voice. Uh, anyhow, thank you. You left us, you came back, and that's all that matters. Thank you for being a patriot once again. Thank you for your patronage. Yep. Another returning patriot is CJ Jones. CJ, come on, brother. I know why you left, but I also know why you're back, and that's because you love us, and that's all I want. That's all I want from you. Thank you for being the Patriot once again. Thank you for your patronage. Yep. And we have a new page. Uh, we have two new Patriots. Uh, first up is Victor Gordon. Victor Gordon. Thank you for being the Patriot. You have joined an elite squad of wonderful people who support this show. Thank you for being a portrait, a supporter. And now thank you for being a Patriot. Are you okay, Idris? No. <laughs> Never okay. Every time I ask that, you're like, no. We're the only time, this is the only time that you're real. Even though you're me at, like, Grinch and shit. Anyways, we got another new patron, Jeffrey Fulton. Jeffrey, um, I'm not sure why you support Brandon. I understand why you may support Justin, but... I want to thank you for being a patriot because either way, even though you shouldn't support Brandon, you are doing a great thing. Thank you for your patronage. Thank you for being great. All right. That's, that's a lot of shade at me, Idris, even though I'm the one that's shipping you the peanuts and everything like that. Justin, I'll do nothing. Eat my butt, Brandon. Okay. Eat my whole asshole. I don't know. You might have to get a new spokesperson, everybody. This is getting... This is just abuse at this point. <laughs> I don't like making these international calls, running up my phone bill just to get told to eat some ass. And I can see <laughs> Idris' asshole being the hair. Uh, I can't. I can't. Anyways, all right, folks, uh, enjoy this bonus episode. We are two niggas spoiling movies. Yeah. Brandon Carlo. 
smile in your face. That's your warning. Uh. So if you get pisses or your What is up, little biscuits and sundry tomatoes? This is your boy Eddie Collins and your girl Tatiana. That's right, Boomfire, and we are doing a special uh, review of our experience at Tribeca Film Festival 2023. Um, it was a little bit a uh, little bit smaller than what we're used to. Like usually, there's multiple locations, and um, for for me specifically, I only went to two theaters uh, for the during the festival because primarily most of the screenings were. Uh, the AMC around the corner from Union Square, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, right so. off of 14th and Union. Yeah, which um, was new for us. Yes, um, because tri- that's far from Tribeca. <laughs> yeah, but it's an easy location for us to get to, so that it was, was. Um, but yeah, it was a it was an interesting. I mean, they essentially, I guess, the film festival rented out the whole theater because no, well, it makes sense because I believe that AMC is going to be closing soon. Oh, that one? I think so. I don't quote okay. me directly, but I uh, heard that it was be, it was going to be closing soon. And okay. so, I mean, it makes sense. It has all the facilities. It has theaters with seating yep. and screens. I can't imagine that it didn't make sense for a film festival yeah. to just, you know, like set up shop in, in one location or two. Because where they normally have Tribeca Film Festival in Tribeca, it is just like a... There's like a two theaters down by De Niro's restaurant in Tribeca. Yeah, but it's like a warehouse, really, that has like a restaurant and yeah, a, yeah. like a club. And, you know, it's not really set up for a theater like that. And so I think that um, posting up at an actual movie theater makes sense. It's not that far. We walked from Tribeca there. Yeah. Oh, day. yeah, yeah. That was like a nice little walk. It was too. a nice and it was a nice day. Yeah. But, you know, when you think of Tribeca, you think of a specific neighborhood. Definitely. Um, and so this one was a little bit out of the ways, but, but the lounge, the lounge is really nice. I mean, this is like the first Tribeca being back post COVID, even though we're technically still in COVID. Um, yeah. Because I mean, the f- one Tribeca, two, two, how many, three, we've done, we've done quite a few Tribecas. Yeah. Um, and we're used wasn't to, wasn't able to do last year, obviously, cause I was out yeah, in LA and stuff. But it was digital, right? It was some of, some di- of, some it, of like, it was digital. Yeah. And then obviously during COVID, it was all digital. Yep. The ones that we did go to in person did feel a little bit scattered. I felt like yeah. I, like it. So this one I felt was planned pretty well. Um, and it was pretty. Yeah. Schedule was pretty yeah, easy. Pretty. I was just, um, you know, we'll talk about the films that we watched. I, th- I was curious as to why there weren't bigger crowds for some of the stuff we did watch. Um, I mean, we were in big theaters and we watched movies pretty early in the day. But at the same time, I was kind of like, huh. I wonder why no one's here for this. Like, I mean, I also think it's because a lot of these, this, like a lot of these movies weren't actually premiering at Tribeca. They had been mm. in other places as well. So I think they were just viewings. Yeah. Um, and I think as critics, we also get the opportunity to view a lot of these outside of Tribeca. Um, so it was sometimes the Tribeca viewing was easier for us because we were already yes. doing it. And at, on the contrary, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes, you know, the actual screening from the actual um, studio mm. was, was a better fit for us than Tribeca was. So Definitely. I think there was a, a little bit of overlap for those that truly, and then they, those movies were also having their own separate premieres. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different than I think our experience like with South by Southwest where things were legitimately premiering for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so you had that excitement. Yeah. 
I mean, the whole town is taken over by the festival, so it's like very immersive. Whereas this is like only had like three specific locations because um, there was a movie theater. I found this out the hard way. There's Angelica. So I was used to the Angelica, and this is very New York focused, folks. But I was used to the Angelica off of Houston Street, mm-hmm. and apparently there's one on the opposite side of the city, on the east side. There's an Angelica like near like East Village. And I had no idea. And is so that new, maybe? Like, they expanded? I think it's been there. It's an older theater. So that's where I saw I mean, it doesn't mean that it's not. It probably wasn't an Angelica. Yeah, I mean, we could look I don't, this I up. I have no idea. But um, <laughs> so started kicking this off. And this movie's been out in the theaters for a few weeks now. But we did see it at Tribeca uh, for a screening was Elemental, which yes. is Disney and Pixar's uh, new original film that's set in Element City. Where fire, water, earth, and air residents live together. The story introduces Ember, a tough, quick-witted, and fire, uh, fiery, no pun intended, young woman whose friendship with a, a fun, sappy, go-with-the-flow guy named Wade challenges her beliefs about the world they live in and the person she wants to be. I think that log line is kind of accurate, but, I mean, for me and folks, uh, remember we rate movies on scales of popcorn, small, medium, large, except for exceptional, a movie doesn't deserve a bag of popcorn, it goes to the dog shit pile where he pile piles and piles of dog shit on it. I feel like the advertising and then the story we actually got were very different. Way different. And I felt a little bamboozled okay. as we were sitting through it. I was like, this is not the movie I, <laughs> I thought it was. It was an immigrant story. It was it, yeah, it was I thought it was touted as being like like a first generation like immigrant story, you know, the yeah. m- most that they can with not, you know, calling a spade a spade, right? And then it turned into a love story yeah. and like like infrastructure and why it's important to pay attention to the environment. To the environment. It was a lot of things. It just it, it just, wasn't really funny. It just seemed like there were too many cooks in the kitchen and it's very obvious, at least to me, and maybe I could be very wrong, but it's obvious to me that this was a different story and somewhere along the line, somewhere, someone got their hands in it and was like, I don't know if it was a studio. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it didn't test well, maybe, but like something happened where it changed because there's a part where it makes like a really sharp turn. And you're yeah. like, what? Like, there was nothing leading up to this being, you know, because Ember is like, she hears about, you know, back when we lived in our land and blah, blah, blah. She just wants to be her own person, but her dad wants her to take over the fire shop. And she's like, but I'm not, I don't want to do this, you know? And so, like, I, I really was getting, like, first gen, yep. new land type vibes. And then and they deviated and it became about her relationship with Wade and, like, how would they make that work with water and fire? And for me, physically, I was like, how do you make that work? <laughs> but uh, it was, yeah, I just, I, I, it took a direction that I was kind of like, oh, this is what this is. And like I said, for a Pixar movie, it didn't really make me laugh at all. It didn't like, make me laugh. It didn't make me cry. It didn't, I was just like, why are we here? There was a beat at the end that kind of got me. And that's been, like, that's like one of these things with like a, the most recent Pixar movies, like Luca, Onward. They give me at the last like 10 minutes. Where I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you were like, what the payoff was supposed to be. But even then, that doesn't make up for the 90 plus minutes I got before that. 
Well, I couldn't tell you anything about Luca because then the two times yeah, you fell asleep. The two you were times out. the yeah. two, two times I've tried to watch Luca, I fell asleep. It's very slow. Yeah. At the same part. So and it was different times of day. Yeah. <laughs> like onward, we saw it once. It was cute but kind of forgettable. I yes. even forget that it's a Pixar, a Disney yep. Pixar movie. This is very middle of the road for me. Yeah, like, this, this is, is this was interesting, I think. And maybe because I think with this, like they try to do these elements mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that the elements were original enough because of, of movies like Inside Out that gave yeah. us these color coordinated, you know, and the elements were very similar. It just yeah. it just rang a little too close to Inside Out because they were also like a sappy, you know, wa- blue, watery crybaby, mm. a red, angry, fiery. It's getting a little stereotypical. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so it just, I and I think that that is, and I like Inside Out as, as like a oh, coming yeah, of age to yeah. show about like a, hormones and emotions and stuff like that. And, and yeah. everybody goes through it. And so this was one that I, I don't know what happened and what got lost in the sauce, but... This should have been released on Disney Plus and not Turning Red. Oh, Turning Red is amazing. <laughs> I know you love that. I love. Boys never for Life. Oh my my! I mean, this doesn't even have a good song with it. No, it, doesn't, it doesn't have much, <laughs> man, and that's what's frustrating about it. And you could tell it was. It's. It seemed like it was a personal story by the filmmakers that did it, but mm-hmm. then it just, like I said, maybe like for folk, uh, with focus groups and like test screenings and stuff, it just it got off the rails. But so for me. This gets a small just because I'm never going to really give a Pixar movie a dog shit just because I know how much work goes into the animation alone. Yeah. No, it's, it looks it looks good. I will say that. But this know? is very much at the bottom of the barrel for Pixar movies. It's like it's like the good dinosaur, Luca, Brave, and then this. This is like. What? Brave? Yo, we got to have a Pixar up. Besides those. those I mean. I, I, besides I, her hair and the three little boys, I was like, I was so bored there in Brave. Well, misogyny is no, like I, seeping out of your pores. She was a badass. It's just the story didn't really go anywhere. Her, her and her mom turned into bears. Okay. No, her and her mom did not turn into Well, her bears. mom turned into a bear or something, right? Yeah, her mom turned... It's a... Maybe, maybe I gotta watch it again. I don't know. But I just remember the first time watching it being like... Um, it's about a girl beefing with her mom about things that are... the How they're supposed to be and how she wants to change her ways. Like, she doesn't agree with that. Oh, uh, maybe, like, if it's hitting too close to home because, like, I was being around uh, your mom and your sister a lot. And so I was just like, I don't want to see a Pixar white version of this. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, you know, it does what it does. I would say, yeah, I mean... When it comes to, it's weird because I don't know if these are the same teams working on these no. things or if it, there's like a, uh, like a varsity and a JV, uh, yeah. you know, but like this, this feels like the, the, you know, second string on the bench for the JV mm. got their round up to, to, you know, go at it. And, um, this wasn't the best storyline the animation is is what's expected, but even like as I think about like Disney as like a marketing powerhouse, I'm like they I I can't even tell you like what the toys look like oh, or yeah. you know like like just stuff like that. So I don't know that it even had the the backing of Disney the way it normally does. It could yeah. be because you know Disney's trying to convince people that they are not making money, which you cannot convince me that Disney does not make money at all times of the day mm-hmm. um so i think i think you know i'm always a good conspiracy theorist i think disney 
didn't promote this. They're and struggling. I don't I don't think Disney did this justice in a way that it could it could have been great, but I think they let it slip through the cracks intentionally so it can serve their narrative of we're not doing well. <laughs> well, I don't I don't mean I don't think any company actually wants that to go through that. Like they're going through bad press right now with no one attending their theme park. So I think that, that well, it's because they raise their prices. But I think Pixar's just in a tough place right now because the thing is this movie um, and this podcast that town I listen to talks about it all the time. This movie costs two hundred million dollars, and that's a hundred million dollars more than Spider Verse and um, there's a, a Super Mario Brothers. But that's because they outsource a lot of their animation. Yeah. Whereas Pixar, everything's in house. They're paying. They're, they're, they pay for people that aren't even working on projects. Like you just have a salary, and if you don't have a project, you're still getting paid. So well, I don't I, think it works like that. I think everybody has something they're well, working I, yeah, on. Yeah, but like that's. That's the structures like, you know, these projects take a, take a long time to get going. Yeah. And so I think that there's there's something that they got to work out where they can take down the cost because for for this to cost more than Spider-Verse, which uses all kinds of fucking different animation styles and Super Mario Brothers, that's it's interesting. But at the same time, but again, when we're talking about we're talking so. about outsourcing yeah. things. And also there's a bunch there's been a bunch of, you know, articles coming out how the spider-verse team yeah, works yeah. so hard in the last five years that they're like yeah, we need no, a break there's no easy answers to this yeah stuff. You i'm know, just saying so, it's just so uh, i don't think i don't think blaming the team is the way to go i think you know like fish things from the head and so i do think that there is something lacking with even if it's like like maybe Disney really didn't believe in the movie and they just like were like listen we need a money grab for some like we need well, something in the theaters at all times. Yeah, that's what happens Especially when you have because, white guys in the executive role. Yeah, because Mario is Mario was coming out right, and that's <laughs> and that's a universal Nintendo yeah. thing. That's competitive. I mean, they had what Avatar come out, but Avatar also is one of those movies that took over ten years to make and cost them gajillion fucking dollars you know so it's like i could see them being like the kids is where it's at we need something out there quick Mm. so again i just think that um it elemental probably yeah it's a a disservice but there are some movies that were were better (laughs) than Mm. elemental yeah and we uh we went to a screening during tribeca for the blackening which uh folks who can hear uh just a nice full review with uh the ladies from Girl That Scary podcast. Um, but Tati never got to give her take on the blackening, which is, again, about seven friends who go away for the weekend only to find themselves trapped in a cabin with a killer who has a vendetta. They must pit their street smarts and knowledge of horror movies against the murderer to stay alive. So what were your thoughts on the blackening? Oh, my God. So much fun. So much fun. Um, and just like, I don't know, it felt very... It felt very comfortable to me, and I don't know if it's because of my own upbringing or just, like, you know, within culture, similarities, whatever you want to, like, attribute it to. But, um, I mean, there was a few, like, jump scares, ironically, even though it's mostly a comedy. Mm. Um, you, The storyline, you, I mean, if you pay attention, you can figure out who the bad person is, who the bad guy is right away. Um, but I would say just, like, it really did feel like like being in a room with my friends talking shit, you know, and just like black culture, just a lot of relevancy. Yeah. Um, the the fashion was good. The hair was good. I mean, shit, man, we started we started eating wrap snacks because of it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so, yeah, I 
What's your rating? On my on my rating scale, definitely a large. Okay. I mean, it's teetering in the XL space, but I I want to give it room to grow in case there is a, a sequel. Mm. Um, but definitely felt, and it also I mean because we do drunk black history, it really did feel like a drunk like almost like a drunk black history setting just uh, on yeah. the big screen. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another movie that we watched for Tribeca is Cipher. Uh, which here's the, the log line. Tierra Wack first gained recognition at the age of 15 when she stunned viewers with her slick poetry while rapping for a YouTube channel on a Philadelphia, on a Philadelphia street. One night at a particularly tiring set, a seemingly innocuous fan interaction begins a series of increasingly unsettling events that swirl around Tierra and her, fa- uh, her team, even following them to Dubai. They soon start questioning who was filming who and whom and whether being seen or watched is a desirable or unavoidable part of fame. So this is a documentary that is also is it part like, fiction. It's a mockumentary. No. So it's like weird because it's like legit footage of her performing and like living her life. Yeah. And they mixed in a storyline and it feels very much like they were working on a documentary and then like the filmmakers like, yo, you want to do some weird shit? I mean, maybe it wasn't the filmmaker maybe it was tiara whack herself who was like yo you know be hilarious it was giving uh atlanta with like the goof by the door where you you it was like a documentary and then there's you're like following along and then there's a point where like wait is this real or is it not real because you could totally see that being a thing and then you're like wait a minute this is definitely not real but also, why is it still so good? <laughs> I mean, it won the Founders Award for Best U.S. Nar- Narrative Feature at Tribeca. It's it's a wild movie. I definitely have to see it again. Oh, yeah, Because there's sure. some crazy shit that happens. Uh, but you feel the tension rising. It felt very much like, um, like even though it's it's a completely different genre, but like Blair Witch, where you're like, it's this rising, uh, growing sense of dread. Where you're like, where's this going? It doesn't feel like it's anywhere good. Yeah, of course. And it's you a know? real person, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kudos to Tierra Wack for, you know, being, I guess, this explorative. Is yes. that even a word? Um, you know, because, I mean, it, it, it's weird because, like, after it finished and everything, I was like, that was weird. But I imagine that was also a lot of fun to record. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. You know, and just, like, you know, being this YouTube rapper and showing I'm more than just a YouTube rapper. I'm creative. I'm this. I'm that. You know, there's, like, so many other things to this. And I think that, I mean, I think rappers themselves often get, get pigeonholed into, to a certain sort of stereotype or demographic. But I think this actually kind of breaks that to show like, like rap isn't just about this thing. Like Mm. we all, like any musician, right. Or any creative, but like this, there's conspiracy theories and, and stalking and you know like secret societies and it's like like showing like you can be weird and quirky and just like have your own thing and it's okay um it was a it was a pleasant pleasant surprise because i mean it's called cypher so i was like oh it's gonna be about her coming into the rap game and it was like way different oh yeah it got it got (laughs) crazy talked about it's not spoiled with saying like there's some shit about the occult in this Oh, it's yeah. fucking crazy. Oh, um, I mean, and more yeah. than just the Illuminati. Like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what would your rating be? 
I mean, this is a pleasant, pleasant surprise. It's getting a large for sure. Okay. I don't know what could have made it in XL in my head, but there's something like I'm like, mm. it's it's a little bit because we didn't know what we were getting to. Yeah. I understand why you given it large. I'm feeling the same way because I was like, OK, when it got to the end credits, I was like, what the fuck did we just watch? <laughs> but I know it was incredibly creative yeah. and different. Yeah. Now, whether or not like general audiences will like fuck with it, I have no idea. I don't even know how you market this. Yeah, I, I have no in idea. In a way either. without spoiling it. So you kind of have to market it like a straight documentary and then just have I mean, that's what Blair Witch did, you yeah. know, which made it seem like, oh, this thing happens and we found the footage and yep. you realize, like, oh, that's not what happened. Exactly. But, um, yeah, uh, be able to look up her cipher. I hope that it gets some type of, like, you know, a wide release and stuff. I think it's really creative and. It might actually be really cool if they play it straight and like market it as a straight documentary, and the people are like, "What the fuck did we just watch?" Yeah, and then everyone's like, "What?" You know, I don't want to spoil yeah. it. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, the other movie we watched that also was an award winner at Tribeca, winning for best actress and best screenplay, is *Smoking Tigers*. The logline is: "Staggered by the separation of her parents, a Korean American girl struggles to find herself." Caught between supporting both parents and their work while longing for their old life together and burdened by the responsibility of a younger sibling, few things seem to be falling into place. Upon starting a new year of high school among wealthy elites, she also has to balance the duality of her new friends and low-income reality. So this was a, this was a quiet, like, you know, I want to say coming-of-age story a little bit. Yeah. It it's very personal. You could tell it's very, very mm-hmm. personal by the filmmaker. Um, whether or not it's, I don't know. I mean, I I think, I I think our pause kind of says every, because it's like, there's nothing saying that this isn't good. I think we can agree that it is good. Do I think it was truly like original? No. Mm. Do I think it was great? I think it had the potential to be great. But what whatever this release is, if this is their best, yep. then no, I think I think, I, and I don't think they're going to get an opportunity to go back and and do redo certain things, um, and and that's what I think was a little bit disappointing was, I think you know the Korean American you know first generation type stuff. That was, I think, fairly standard. Mm. Nothing, nothing that should have been new in that in that respect. Yeah. As far as like like we keep talking about first generation in the states mm. coming from immigrants type stuff. There are some things that are truly you know unique to this person, whoever wrote it or yeah. whoever's the brainchild behind this idea. And so, because that's somebody's truth, I don't want to like drag it down, right? But. Um, I don't know if it's in the acting. I don't know if it's in the, the cutting of the too. like the directing. I don't know if it's the editing. There there is a little bit of a disconnect in showing it. I thought I was very surprised, I think, with the best actress, uh best at performance by Ji Young Yu. I think she did her best in the lead role. But there were definitely times where I'm like, I feel like this could have hit harder. And there were also there's a lot of familiar moments and mm-hmm. beats. And I think that that's what that's what I kind of struggle with, with like, how does this set itself apart from other films I've seen similar to this? Yeah. And the only parts that, like, because it was very predictable what was going to happen with, like, her new friends and all these things. Yeah. The only part that actually, like, made me, like, kind of sit up in my chair is when 
she finally had enough of us confronting her dad on the bullshit he was giving. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so that's that's some real heart here. Like, we're actually getting somewhere. And then immediately, I don't want to spoil it, but something happens where she's like, oh, well, that's over. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I was like, oh, okay. Well. It was it was very like everything was like almost like compartmentalized a bit, and then it made it seem like it was the main character sort of like trying to deal with it and mm-hmm. almost like making her situation worse. Oh yeah, and I was I just very that. much like, like I don't I don't know who like we're supposed to be rooting for her right and yeah. and making sure, but then I was just like, why would I root for her? Mm. You know, like there's certain things that are obviously like out of your control and like people, your parents are trying their best for, you know, for lack of whatever. But then like you're just intentionally being mean or you're being malicious Uh, or, you know, like you're letting something like this happen. And granted, like the girl's supposed to be young, teenage, but like almost like you're smarter than this. And because of the background you come from, certain things like this wouldn't or shouldn't really happen because you're a little bit more streetwise than that um but as you know someone who who didn't have a dad just like always available Mm. i like i can get that sometimes you know certain things outweigh others and so i don't know how much they wanted to go down certain rabbit holes i think the story wasn't i think that the story wasn't a different story not the one that was told okay like if they went down another route like maybe just going through the parents divorce Mm -hmm. And, and like the dad issues yep. and then the other things were being the background. But I think they focused so much on the friends and like the, the college prep and then made these heavier issue background issues True. that I was like, yeah. none of this shit matter. Like the mm. shit that they're focusing on actually doesn't matter. This is the stuff that matters. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, for me, I give it a small. Yeah. Same small. I'm not going to give it a dog shit because it is personal and someone, someone put a lot of heart into this. It's just yeah. that it wasn't it didn't stand out enough for me to to wholeheartedly be like, stop whatever the fuck you're doing and watch this movie when it comes out. You know what I mean? Yeah, same, same, small. And I mean, I got to be honest, I forgot we even saw it until I was reading yeah, the log line with you. And I was like, oh, Me too. Yeah, and then when it popped right. up on like the award <laughs> circle, I was like, really? Oh, yeah. okay. I mean, we didn't see everything yes. at Tribeca, so we don't know. I mean, know. it's impossible to. Yeah, I mean, it's- that is one thing I would say uh, in regards to constructive feedback for the festival is that definitely staggering the screenings and having a few more options because there was a lot of stuff that conflicted with each other yeah, and no. there weren't other ways to watch them. So if I couldn't see one movie and then I couldn't also see the second one because I have like priorities in my list, it didn't allow me to see more movies or be able to like, or stream it later. Yeah. Like or make more that. time to see other films. Cause there's some films like that were an afternoon where I was like, yeah, I'm not really interested in that because I'm, you know, I'm all about the diverse voices. I yeah. want to see, as many people of color on the screen, both in front of the screen and behind it. Yeah, and and I think one of the things, too, for you and I as critics in this space and being, you know, black and Latino, we are often the only people in the room. Yes. Right? Like, that are like us. And so, you know, not to say they have to make it convenient just for us, right? But, you know, just just having those opportunities where you can't have this, the movie showing twice in the same day, one at nine in the morning and then the other one at three. And then it's just like not have a streaming option mm-hmm. or, you know, not have yeah. not have the ability to say like like ahead of time, too, because I think that was a big part was like we 
got like I think a week or two in advance and then there were so many movie options and then you and I are in a unique position where we want to talk about it with each other but if we were like in previous Tribeca's past we've watched separately Mm -hmm. and then it kind of threw off our dynamic because you didn't see what I saw I didn't see what you saw so (laughs) what are we talking about I mean even with this I still saw like three movies that you didn't get to see I didn't get to see because I had a conflict and then if it wasn't streaming, I couldn't catch up yeah. with it. And even then, like some of this, because of the inconvenient times, like I had to go to a will call, which was actually very easy. Like I actually, um, and kudos to the Tribeca Film Festival staff as yeah, well. Yeah, they were great. Because they were very patient. They were very kind, even when they didn't need to be, because some critics were being fucking dicks to them. Like I yeah. went to go see a cold copy, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And this one critic was like, what do you mean I can't just walk in? They're like, well, you know, we have tickets, but you have to go at will to the box office just go and say hey i'm a critic i have to pass they'll give you a ticket and i i confirmed that because she was getting so mad this young volunteer and i'm like yeah it's easy i did it in two minutes like why are you being a jerk to this guy yeah just go to the box office so it's it's you know they're the staff was super nice every time i encountered yeah. them i mean even from like us picking up our passes i never have an issue with staff even when we're going to theaters i think because they were these central locations that they didn't have to be sort of like that was their their station, right? Or that was their theater, and that's what they were scanning. And so even when, you know, we left one theater, we were in one theater for one movie, had to exit so they can clean up, and then we went to that same exact theater. theater, And, you know, the woman was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, "Like, it's okay. Like, we're good. We get it. Um, So I kudos to them because they were always, at least to us, super Mm -hmm. nice. And we were seeing them sometimes really early. Oh, yeah. And then uh, (laughs) even at the hub, you know, the staff was really nice. They had like a coffee bar, which was cool. Um, I like worked out of the lounge a few times, which was really, which is nice. And then like there's a new restaurant in the hub. And that was, that was decent. Like the. That wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, But going back to the movies, we did watch a documentary called Chasing Chasing Amy. The logline is a documentary that examines the complex legacy of Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy uh, from 1997 on LGBTQ plus people and its life-saving impact on director Saab Rogers. Now, full disclosure, I consider Saab a friend. I met uh, him during my time at the Universal Writers Program. Uh, I feel like he's a little bit of a mentor to me, um, very insightful person. Um, and so I just want to say that before like anyone's like, oh, you're just like liking this movie because you know the person. But... I actually really thought it was very endearing and very honest mm-hmm. um, in, you know, him talking about how this movie as a queer uh, person that then allowed him to realize that he was actually a trans man, like how that helped him explore that and come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also connecting with the creatives like Kevin Smith and the actress. Uh, um, I'm blanking on her name like right now. Shit. Uh well, interestingly, I've actually never seen Chasing Amy. Oh, really? Okay. And so I didn't Joey know. Joey Lauren Adams, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was really getting into. And uh, okay. so I just saw how excited you were. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's watch it together. Um, but what I did get was that, you know, this movie Chasing Amy has become a bit of a cult classic for, and it wasn't its intention, at least based mm. on this documentary talking to, to Kevin Smith and a lot of the other actors that are involved being like, you know, I was trying to tell this story and in the process, this other story happened, yep. which is kind of what happens in this documentary. It starts off trying to tell one story yep. 
there's and in the progression, it kind of changes a little bit. And so much so where the director, Saab, actually has to pivot mm-hmm. and being like, I and, and have that come come to Jesus moment of like, I started it trying to do this and trying to say this or, or trying to prove this thing. And it actually turned out to be something completely different, not just on their own personal journey, mm-hmm. but with the actual documentary itself yeah and and, and what their relationship they w- with the movie and other people's yeah. relationship other with the people's movie. relationship with the movie and yeah. so just because something is life-changing for you doesn't mean doesn't mean that someone has same similar positive life-changing yeah. experience with it like you know there there's a lot of i i appreciate that um he got different perspectives from the lgbtq community about chasing amy being written by kevin smith who's a white cis man and their conflicting feelings about that, some of the dialogue being a little bit cringe. Um, but then I also... Mean, yeah, perspective on Yeah, lesbians, I mean, it's also the 90s. Like, but it's also, like, the perspective of Joey Lauren Adams. There's a very interesting moment there where she's like, I understand what this movie meant to you, but this movie was a fucking shit show for me. Like, I went through a lot, and this is bringing back all those... This is, she's yeah, just saying, like, I'm, I'm being triggered. triggered. I'm being triggered in this, in this moment. Well, also, I mean, like, she dated Kevin Smith, yeah, right? And so, that. and so, like, they, they have to dive into that, and yep. so they talk about how this was a big thing for Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. and then, like, all these other people. So I would definitely encourage people to watch it, especially if they do have an affinity for Chasing Amy. It might not make them feel all the feel-goods yep. that maybe it does, I haven't seen it, so you know. So what? Uh, I thought you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm. I'm. I mean, not, Kevin Smith's not everybody's tea. Yeah, you know, that's not. And I don't. You know, I'm not a big fan of Ben Affleck as an actor. Oh, yeah. Like. Oh yeah, this is the '90s when Ben Affleck looked really weird. He had like uh, a goatee. I'm and like, shit. why are they? They keep trying to make Ben Affleck happen. Babe, he's happened. Like, I, no, it, it's not. It's, it's not. Stop trying babe, to make fetch happen. He he's been happening. What are you talking I cannot, about? I just I cannot. That's like someone saying like I can't stop making Will Smith. Well, I mean <laughs> Will Smith ain't happening now, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's like someone saying stop trying to make Michael B. Jordan happen. <laughs> you have lost your motherfucking mind. I'm just saying he's but. not only is he here, he's on the map. He ain't going nowhere. Okay. Well, I'm giving this a large. Um, I thought it was a very honest documentary. Um. And like you said, it does a very clear pivot, and I think it's it does that because um, Saab is being true to where the story is taking him, yeah, and being true to the other people that he has revered for so long. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. also giving it a large, not because I know Saab personally, because I don't, um, but because I can appreciate when people are honest, mm. and in this space, seeing a documentary. <laughs> that they was like, oh, shit, like this is this is not or like, you know, th- there isn't a consensus or you, the LGBTQ plus community isn't a monolith. Yes. yes. Right. And so with that being said, in, in a true and what we would consider like fair documentary style. Right. Like having both sides of the fence commenting on on certain things, um, talking about how difficult it was to to. Or not difficult, but like, you know, how how much it was to be a fan of the movie, what it meant personally. But then when yeah. you start meeting these people in real life and just like, you know, just because they're at my disposal doesn't mean I want to mm-hmm. <laughs> like monopolize all their time yeah. or all this stuff. And, and really seeing that as a budding director, right? You will have a story to tell, but you're also super, in you know, going through your own things. 
right? And pandemic and all this extra shit that they talk about. Um, so I thought it was very genuine and endearing, not just for Sal, but like for all of the people that participated. Definitely. Um, and so I, I can appreciate that because it could have been easy for Sob to just continue yep. on, on the path that they wanted to, to, to say. And, yep. and that would have been the documentary and yep. everything would have been great. Exactly. You could have made it, you could have edited it in yeah. a very like manipulative way. If you yeah. To. So I appreciate that. That's a lot. I don't want to say manipulative, like skewed way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this next movie, Cinnamon, we also watched during uh, Tribeca Film Festival. It's now available on Tubi. Um, and you all can decide based on our, you know, our assessment, whether or not it's worth the watch. Um, the log line is aspiring singer Jody Jackson, uh, played by Tony nominee Haley Kilgore, also from Raising Canaan, uh, the power book spinoff, um, has a big voice and dreams to match, but struggles to make ends meet as a gas station attendant whose boss, played by Damon Wayans, may not be on the up and up. Enter charming small time crook Eddie, uh, played by David Iaco. He would do anything to make her dreams come true. The two lovers hatch a plan to change their lives, but as the old proverb goes, we plan, God laughs. What follows is a journey in which they both must use their wits to survive. So this is an interesting movie because it's a predominantly all black, uh, all black and brown cast. Yeah, you can. It's, it's, it's safe to say it's an um, all black cast. Has a, it's ter- it feels like Tarantino light a little bit. Yeah. Damon Wayne's is hilarious as like the gas station owner who also is like this quirky car salesman who works under the thumb of Pam Greer, her crazy ass cousin. Yeah, I'm surprised they they, yeah, they don't mention they don't even mention Pam Greer. And she's in all the promo. It's so weird, yeah. Um and, and so it, I almost forgot she was in it. I was like, oh yeah, Pam Greer's in this. Um it doesn't say much at all, by the way. No, literally. Just letting y'all know, like. Yeah, you're not. Because they use her front and center, so you imagine, oh, Pam Greer, but. No, I mean, I thought it it wasn't it was an interesting way to to present, um, to present a story of I wouldn't call them like star cross yeah. lovers, but you know, just like a a a, a love story, mm. and you know, I. It's it, it's interesting because I'm gonna use this word not I think in a way that most people would normally use it. It's like a ghetto love story. Okay. Not because they're black and brown, but because it's very like <laughs> rough around the edges. Rough little, around the edges, yeah. you know, like like they're they have like these these big dreams, and not to say that that your dreams cannot come true, but like when you're from like these smaller towns, low income, mm-hmm. you know, like they're real jobs. She's working at a gas station. That yeah. is a real job, right? Like people rob gas stations all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That that's a real thing people do. So it's very real, but it's also like, um, and and I really like the actress. Uh, what's her name? Haley. Haley. Yeah. yeah, like so. So it's interesting to see her in a slightly different role, but I do feel she's getting a little bit pigeonholed into this sort of like I can sing because clearly she can sing, but also we gonna do some street might, shit. Yeah, I might do some conflicting right? shit. Right, like we gonna do some street shit. Like, ugh. So hopefully yeah. the next role is something a little bit different. 
Um, and also same, very similar look. Also, oh, yeah, yeah. A little more femme in this one than in Yeah, Power. they keep trying to dress her down in But they keep Power. trying to dress her down yeah. and, like, make her look a little more masculine. And yeah. so I'm like, you know, this isn't like the rom-com where you throw glasses on a pretty girl and she's ugly and mm. now you take the glasses off. Like, she's still yeah. pretty. Like So anyways, aside from that, though, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Um, What's your I, 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 Like, are we, are we spoiling it or not? Nah? No, because it's available okay. on Tubi, so people can see it now. Okay, yeah, definitely watch it on Tubi. It's I short, think, too. It's, it's like an short. hour and a half. I definitely think it's worth it. I think someone like uh, Damon Wayans being, like, taken out of the normal. Yeah, he's so weird in this. Yeah, you know, the wig. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just interesting to see the diversity yeah. in the actors that are being presented as well. Yeah, so your, your rating is? Uh, my me- uh, medium. Medium? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give it a medium, too. I think uh, it's there's a lot of promise, and it's told in, like, a... Like, very Tarantino, like, story, chapter, way, which is fine. But there's, like, some uneven performances. Uh, and there's, like, a plot twist towards the end, which is very predictable. But the only issue for me is that the guy that played Eddie wasn't... He didn't have he didn't have the screen presence that I think you needed for this character to, to work the way that they were trying to. Um, but it, it was still fine. Um, also... Shout out to shout out to a lot of films lately that have been uh, providing a lot of LGBTQ plus representation, mm-hmm. and not like being like, "Hey, this person is is trans or a lesbian or queer." Yeah, like, just like a just, regular person exactly. doing a regular job, exactly. which there's, is what people do yeah. in real life. And there's some characters like that because you were, you pointed out you're like, "There's a lot of queer representation in this movie." Yeah, um, which was great, and so. I think more of that, but and them being them being you know LGBTQIA plus was not necessarily the gist of their personality yeah. or storyline or their Absolutely. their character in general. They were just yeah playing a role. So <laughs> I just I I could I would have wished that Eddie was played by something with a little bit more screen presence, but nonetheless, that's not taken away from Haley's performance. Uh, Damon Wayne's fucking had me dying at some parts. He's so crazy in this movie. Um, but it is pretty predictable. You can kind of, kind of tell where everything's going to go, but, yeah. um, still enjoyed it. And it's on Tubi. So it's one of the few things that I would say is really solid on Tubi. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> definitely check it out. Um, cause we should get more movies like this. that are a little bit outside the box. Um, and starring black and brown people. Um, Speaking of black and brown people, uh, we watched the documentary oh, Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli. Which tells the story about Rob uh, Pilatus and Fabrice uh, Morvan, who became fast friends during their youth in Germany. With Rob coming from a broken home and Fabrice having left an abusive household, they shared a similar upbringing as well as a future goal to become famous superstars. In a few short years, their dreams came true. Their first album went platinum six times in 1989, and their hit Girl You Girl, Know Is True sold over 30 million singles worldwide. Robin Fab, better known as Millie Vanilli, became the most popular pop duo in the late 80s. However, their ascension to success came with a devastating price that ultimately brought their undoing. Ooh, 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 I love you. So, the thing that impressed me most about this documentary is that they actually got Fabrice, who is a fantastic looking man. He still looks yes. great. To and be part of the documentary. And he sings pretty well. And he sings pretty well now. That's the thing is like. <laughs> Which makes me think he can he couldn't have been that bad as a late teen, early 20 yeah. something. Because he actually is probably more talented than Rob. I think that was very clear in the documentary. I, I got I mean, that. I mean. He, Rob was the prettier one because he was light skinned. Because he was a light skinned black guy. And, and he, he had yeah. the green eyes. And they were European. So yeah. they would lean more to those European features. Yeah. But it was very. It, 
it's tough because you want to root for these young men, and they were working their and asses off. And we know off. how the story ends. Already. Yeah, and they were working their asses off, and they were like trying to make it happen, and then they got put into this situation where they essentially sold their soul to the devil. Yeah, I mean the producer that that signs them on as Millie Vanilli had. I mean, for I mean, surprise if you don't know who Millie Vanilli is, they were basically caught lip syncing all yes. like they didn't sing anything on any of the songs that they yeah. had put out which would have been fine if they had not won a grammy but they won a grammy and <laughs> so that so that is the problem here is that because you know <laughs> you know laugh if you want but like the grammys are supposed to be high like regarded as like the highest standard of music Right. And according to them at the according to the Grammys, they do not allow artists to lip sync. Yeah. Which is very interesting because these gentlemen performed at the Grammys before they won their Grammy. So Mm -hmm. how how sway how I mean, but that's because a lot of stars always lip sync, but they don't think you. The thing is, they weren't just lip syncing the performances. They actually were. They had the real singers in the documentary. He'd be like, "Yeah, they would just put me in at like two in the morning. They would stick me into the studio, and I would see these bars." Which I think the the bigger sort of sadder story is the fact that it is you know this European white producer who had done this in the seventies with the group Boney M. And I love Boney M music. It's so, it's so hard, weird. right? They're because so clearly the man is talented. Yes. Right? And he has a good ear, but he likes to put on musical blackface. Mm-hmm. And so what? he knows how to exploit. And he knows how people. to exploit, you know, young black people, yep. especially if they have a bit of edge or funk, right? And so he did this in the 70s with the group Boney M. And then he comes in the 80s and does it with Millie Vanilli. And what's terrible, with especially with Millie Vanilli, is not that they're two young European black men, but because he takes black American men mm. and he takes their voices yeah. and then puts this European black face on. Yeah. And then he actually does it in reverse. Usually light skin. You know, he yeah. does it in reverse. And so these American men who are rapping and singing... You know, they, I wouldn't say they were, weren't lookers, but they're not my type, Mm -hmm. you know? And so there was no reason why they were singing these songs and couldn't be famous because clearly the music was good. It was good enough for them to sing and rap on it, right? And they did the whole album, but they just weren't good enough to parade on a stage. And conversely, these two gentlemen, they were good looking and they could dance because that's how they kind of got their start in Europe dancing on shows. But they didn't have the talent as for in the vocal range yes. yep. to, to do that. So it's very exploitive across the board. But then when you hear about it's it's not just this one producer, it's the whole music industry. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the music industry telling, oh, we had no idea. And it's like, there's no fucking way you had no idea. Which is so crazy because, like, yeah, the label with, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, not L.A. Reid. Uh, the white dude um, that did, like, Discover Whitney, Whitney and everybody. Uh, we all know him. Barry? I want to say Stanley Tucci, but that's who played <laughs> him in the Whitney Gordy, movie. Right? Not Barry yeah. Gordy. Oh. Fuck, the white guy. Clive Davis. Clive Davis. Clive Davis. And that they were all like, so some people were still like holding the line, like, "Oh, we didn't know," and then other people were like, they, "We had to know, like, we knew." Yeah, because there's, they like, were there's like, no way. Because whenever they would say, "Hey, can we go in the studio and see y'all working?" They would be like, "No." They would like, and then 
they the label gave Millie Vanilli an assistant. And this guy is like, well, yeah, I was going to like, I asked, I called the Grammys and found out how to submit them. And then I did it. And then they were all mad at me. And I'm like, why wouldn't we want to submit them for a Grammy? That'd be huge. Well, he said they, that the label. That was hilarious. So that part I found, <laughs> you know, because there's two, there's three sides to every story, right? Yeah. Your version, my version, and the truth. And the record label in, in Clive Davis's is group is basically saying, we had no idea. This European producer bamboozled us because when they when he did their album, mm. it said vocals by Robin oh, yeah. Fabrice. It, he was like, had they said vocals also by X, Y, and Z, so we would have yeah. no idea that they're not the ones in the studio singing. But then there's other people involved that were from the label who were basically like, no, they knew because they never were they never planned on promoting them like for anything serious. Yes. So when the Grammys became a, a topic of conversation that their assistant manager was like, why wouldn't I? I'm doing my due yeah. diligence. And like the record label yelled at him, like, why would you do that? You put us in a pickle. Then when they get nominated, the, the, the record label has to talk with the like, the was it the president of the Grammys at mm. the time or whatever? And magic because they didn't want them to perform. And they were like, no, they have to perform. And then magically everything was worked out and they performed and they also happened to win the fucking Grammy. I think, yes, and a big part of the time, and this is the stuff that I wouldn't know because it was too young, but also, you know, a sign of the times was also these two men took the brunt of all the fallout. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone else kept their jobs, stood making money. When it's like, it's clearly not just the two of them. Who, who put yeah. this together, like, you have... They didn't give them any PR training because immediately when people are talking to them, they're like, huh? They're like, how are y'all singing these songs? And you, you you can barely speak to me in English. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. something's not adding up. And then they had such thick accents. I mean, and it's, like, made very interesting because they talk about how, like... Singing Blame It On The Rain. And we got that thick-ass German... Blame It On The Rain. And they got, it runs oh, up. Those, it like, but those I songs speak, are still so good. They're good. I mean, you've been playing them nonstop. Oh I really wish God. you would stop because it's driving it. me crazy. I love it. Um, but yeah, folks, you should watch the documentary. I believe it's going to be MTV produced it. So I imagine it's either going to be on their platform or maybe Paramount Plus Paramount or something Plus, like that. I think. But definitely check it out. It's, it's uh, worth really it. Solid. It's worth it because you get the story. I think we've we've heard a lot from like the record label side yeah. and kind of like what behind they, the music and stuff. Like but that. behind the music, probably because it was MTV, yeah. they did, couldn't go that deep. And I think now that MTV is probably like, yo, we need something to bring us back into the fold. It was, it's definitely worth it. I think, you know, it, it gave us a lot of perspective on not only that time, but on Millie Vanilli and just how fucked up the, like, you know, yeah. the music industry is fucked up. But then when you think like, oh, shit, in the year 2000 and beyond, this would be perfectly fine. Yeah. And I'm not going to like, you know, I don't want to spoil like what the documentary, how it concludes. Yeah. Um, but I would I, I will say it was surprisingly inspiring. I was actually. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was going to be a huge downer because, you know, we all know um, if you know about Millie Vanilli, you know that unfortunately Rob uh, does uh, pass away um, relatively young um, from a drug overdose. And, you know, it, it could have easily ended like in a very dour, like, 
famous, scary, and like dangerous, but it actually ends in a very inspiring note. So um, definitely see it and don't go in thinking it's just going to be doom and gloom. There actually is yeah. some, there is a bright light at the end of the tunnel. On this or world. just like poking fun at lip syncing. Yeah, it's not but that. the biggest lesson I learned is get a lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Always have a lawyer, even if you can't pay them now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get a payment plan, figure that shit out. Don't sign jack oh, squat yeah. without a lawyer. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I imagine we're both giving this, uh, we're giving this what, large? Not large for sure. Bang, bang, large popcorn. And then the last movie we saw together at Tribeca Film Festival was Our Son. Yes. Uh, the, the log line is Billy Porter and Luke Evans return to Tribeca. I didn't know they'd been to Tribeca together before. Uh, playing partners of 13 years. Billy stars as Gabriel, an aspiring artist struggling to find creative and personal spark while caring for the young son he shares with his ambitious partner, Nikki, played by Luke Evans. Stress and anxiety flare as their relationship gets to an unrepairable place, forcing the couple to head for a divorce. Now the two must navigate the inevitable, uh, inevitable position of revealing the news to shared friends and family. Thus begins the journey to find themselves and support their son. All right, so you know that word is unenviable. Uh, I mean, you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, <laughs> this is a tough one because it is, it's, there's a lot of divorce movies like Kramer versus Kramer and stuff like that. And this is a different perspective because it's, you know, uh, two gay men that are like trying to figure out how do we make this work with our son. Mm-hmm. For me, Billy Porter was a bit, Billy Porter was Billy Porter playing Billy Porter. It felt like, yeah, it felt like <laughs> acting, whereas Luke Evans, he hasn't played anything like this before. Yeah. I've never seen him play like a, it's like this, almost like this kind of like tense, but he doesn't mean to be tense. And he, he wants to do better, but he also like, doesn't know how. And it, it was a very interesting performance from Luke Evans that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I would say. I didn't know he could act. Like I this. mean, I would say probably everybody else but Billy Porter really which is so weird which is weird I know I know because I mean Billy Porter is great and I don't I don't I don't I don't know what happened here I don't know if it was like a quick film schedule that you know they just had to phone it in and I say that because he has the same braids and nail polish the whole movie so Mm. it makes me think that it was a tight pretty quick it was a tight turnaround you know and and not to say that stuff like that should matter but actually it does or if you can't really lean into a character the way you want or create the rapport with your co-stars that that maybe you should Mm. um yeah listen you know with the legalization of of gay marriage also comes gay divorce and so I'm not surprised to see a movie like this because it happens all the time and so the gay community is not absolved from that right and so I this is one of those where like it's a story anybody could be could have been plugged in Mm. but in this case they chose to put a gay couple yeah I'm not mad at it I think it was fine I just was really surprised by Billy Porter's acting choices yeah, um, I think he's a producer on it, so maybe that had to do something. Maybe he's doing like, too much. Yeah. Well, I it mean, might just be like, you're not going to direct me because I'm, I'm Billy Porter. Yeah, I, I mean, um, but that's the thing. Like I said, it really did feel like Billy Porter playing yeah. Billy Porter as Billy Porter. Like, I just didn't feel like it was a much of a deviation for mm-hmm. him or and that he, had, he was trying. And he had good chemistry with the, the kid that played his son. He had good mm-hmm. chemistry with Luke Evans. It just, it felt odd. It definitely felt like... This is Billy Porter, whereas even like a, and 
Hollywood, please give this man a leading role. Andrew Randall's deserves to be a lead in like a romantic comedy or a comedy or something. He's so fucking charming. Yeah. Um, like, and like, even Andrew Randall's, I'm like, that's, I know that's Andrew Randall's, but he's playing this character. Yeah. Right? And so it's, it's just very odd because it really did feel like, I wouldn't have been surprised if his name was Billy in the movie. <laughs> like, it was just so weird. Um, but I, maybe, maybe Billy Porter went through something like this. I don't know enough of Billy Porter's story. Maybe he did go through like, this is a personal story for him or I, I don't know. But like, like you said, it was distracting. Yeah. In ways that, I mean, and it's an important, it's important, not just for representation, right? Because I mean, divorce happens, but like, you know, yeah. What do you do in this case? This isn't an adopted son. Mm. This is biologically. Oh yeah, that's right. One of their sons, you know, and tell you which one. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to tell you which one, you know, and, and, just because they these are two men and like does the one who like assumes the more like maternal role mm. you know it's it, it really does put things yes. in perspective and and a bit of conflict right because you get everybody's perspective because mm-hmm. there's a there was a time where I was like actually you know no like yeah. this is you know so anyways um I definitely think it's 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 worth a watch. But I think that for like a regular viewer, you have to be prepared to know it's not a fun movie. No, it's it, it's like not even like you're not going to get a chuckle here and there just because there's gay people in it. <laughs> like, you know, you're there's not very, yeah, if you're thinking it's going to be a sass. It's, 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 it's not, not. It's not sassy. Yeah. You know, like all the time. It's a it's a serious movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would give it a medium. I like I said, I think Luke Evans very much surprised me. Um, I love the kid actor that played their son. And I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine pacing wise. It is almost two hours and it felt like it. Um, but again, it's because it's not a happy story. It's, it's yeah. a divorce story. So it's tough. And then like, you know, you get the, the conclusion and you're just kind of like, it's very, very sweet. But again, um, I, I want to see Luke Evans do more stuff like this. Like he's been, yeah. his career's kind of been all over the place between Ma and then like he played Gaston and like, it's just like this weird choice, but if you could do more stuff like this, where he actually can show his range as an actor, I think there's some real good potential there. Yeah, I mean, um, on my on my end is definitely a medium. Like it, you know, you could tell there was room for growth, but again, there's so much we don't know about who, what, when, where, yeah. why, time, you know, all that stuff. And so I think, I think if you know, if if my assumptions are correct, I just think they needed a little more time to really like develop those characters. Maybe, yeah. Um, but in any case, there are some movies that you did see without me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I went to I went to uh, well, on the the Tribeca app. I watched this movie called The Line, which is uh, Ethan Berger's feature narrative debut, which is uh, you know through the lens of a fictional college fraternity. Tom Alex Wolf, uh, who's an actor who's been in Pig and hereditary he plays a passionate brother of the fraternity who's uh who was charmed by the promise of high social status and alumni connections uh, that open doors but as a classmate outside of a social circle uh, a, a classmate outside a social circle named annabelle enters his life his devotion begins to falter once the scheduled hazing of a new of new fraternity brothers comes to a disturbing head thomas faced with the decision of a lifetime now that log line is a bit misleading yeah i was gonna say i, I hallie s- bailey is not in the movie that much yeah. And she actually, this is making her more significant to the plot than she actually is in the plot. 
Well, I mean, this is on the heels yeah. of Little Mermaid. Exactly. So. Yeah. She she starts to show the cracks and like the bullshit of Alex, uh, Tom's character, but it's like it's more involved with like the fraternity and the toxic masculinity. Um, and that's actually where the movie is really, really solid. Um, yeah. I think it does a really good job of talking about the fraternity of brotherhood and like how fucked up that is and like the things you're willing to do to cover up for each other. But I think it's also like, like we, I, I think it's more than just from what I saw in passing. Cause I was probably doing something in the house. Mm. Right. And, um, talking to you as people who did go to a university that had sororities and fraternities, I think it's more about the, the social aspect yes. of it. Right. Because he's, um, he's a, like a, just a low income student, right? Like, yeah, he's on scholarship and, um, he even pretends like he, he pretends that he has a Southern accent. Like his mom was like, why do you talk like that? And he does it to try to like impress like these high society people. They're like, Oh, this country boys, you know, you know, rocking with us. So, you know, he's, he's cool. It's, well, it's, I think it's also to downplay the fact that he's like not better, yeah. you know, like, cause I think there, there are biases of people who are like, Oh, well, He's this like country bumpkin and he doesn't know better. And so it makes sense that he doesn't have money and blah, 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 blah. you know, and, and so it's, it's interesting to, to hear or to read this log line and then being like, I mean, that's not what I saw. And I, I didn't sit down and watch it either. Yeah. Log line aside <laughs> though, I would still give it a large, I would say though, it's not the most, it's not a fun movie to watch. It's actually very tense. And like the third act, you see where it's going and it goes there and it's, it's, just as bad as you would imagine. Um, but it's like, it's very white. It's very white male privilege. And essentially the first 10 minutes of the social network where you see that fraternity having those parties and stuff like that, this is essentially the whole movie. Just like the fallout of what happens when these bad decisions actually come to light. Um, but I would still give it a large. I think Alex Wolf, who I have not been a fan of. I don't know. I just like want to punch his face. Um, actually, he did a really, really good job in this movie anchoring it. Um, his performance is very, very solid. So large, I don't know what's going to happen with distribution or anything like that. But, um, if you see a movie called the line, um, on a streamer, give it a watch. It's, it's fairly solid. Um, I went to the premiere at near, uh, tri- sorry, Tribeca film festival for blood for dust, which is from director, uh, Rod Blackhurst who uh, won the Tribeca audience award for here alone in 2016. I did not see that. Um, it's a crime thriller about how far one man will go to provide for his family. Clu- Cliff, played by Scoot McNary from uh, Narcos, Mexico, is a down-at-his-luck uh, traveling salesman who loses his job before an opportunity presents itself by way of an old colleague, Ricky, played by Kit Harrington. I actually thought this was uh, Charlie Abbott for some reason. I, it's really weird. Um, he's rightfully, rightfully hesitant, but running out of options, has no choice but to take Ricky up on the offer. He soon discovers he will be running drugs and guns across state lines for cartel leader John, played by Josh Lucas, which is as insane as it sounds. During what should have been the easy assignment, Ricky shows his true colors, throwing both himself and Cliff into a fight for survival. This movie was a fucking mess. Um, It's like a little under two hours. The first act is actually really strong. Scoot McNary, like, he just needs the right vehicle to show, like, that he, he could be a really strong dramatic actor. It's just that the movies that he does often fail him or he hasn't had a big enough role where he's memorable. He's been in Argo. He's been in Gone Girl, but he hasn't had a real memorable uh, lead role. This could have been it, but it quickly falls apart. 
Um, Kit Harrington was very weird. I didn't know that that was Jon Snow until I saw this. This I was like, because I thought it was this guy, Charlie Abbott from Girls. They look very similar. And he's lost a lot of weight, Kit Harrington. He lost all that Jon Snow muscle, I think. So I was just kind of like, and then Josh Lucas as a cartel leader is as corny as it sounds. He tries to act threatening and there's nothing threatening about that motherfucker. Um, <laughs> and it just like, it's just weird. It doesn't really go, it, it goes somewhere, but it's very predictable that double cross is going to be happening and shit. It's, it's just very on the nose. And I, I, I felt bad. I wanted to kind of leave. Oh. I wanted to kind of leave. By the time I got to the third act, I'm like, this is just a mess. This doesn't make any sense. Like, why? Um, but. I mean, so what do you give it? I'm giving it. Uh, it's actually the first pile of dog shit I'm giving for Tribeca. I Ooh. I did not enjoy it. And that's what sucks. Because, like I said, Scoop McNary, actually, the first act is really, really solid. And you get why his character is doing what he has to do um, to make ends meet. But at the same time, you're also kind of like, he makes such stupid, bad decisions that aren't justified in the way that he's able to kind of talk his way out of situations. And it just, it was just a very frustrating watch. So pile of dog shit for blood for lust, uh, blood for dust, not lust. Blood for dust. And then last but not least is cold copy. And so we did not see this together. I did not see it either. Yeah. You would have really liked this too. I felt bad that you, yeah, uh, you so had like a it, conflict or something. I did have a conflict. So eager to impress the esteemed yet cutthroat news reporter, Diane Hager, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, ambitious journalism student Mia Scott, played by Belle Polly, desperately competes for her attention. With increasing pressure from Diane to outperform her peers, Mia finds a new angle for her latest story about an unsuspecting subject. Precious Precocious teen Igor Nowak, played by Jacob Tremblay, Uh, but her new approach involves manipulating his story and the truth itself. Some of these log lines could use some work. But, um, yeah, this is Tracy Ellis Ross's Devil Wears Prada. I hope that this gets the platform that it deserves. Um, like, it gets the attention because she's really scary in it. She's really intimidating. She's badass. And she does some very, very problematic things. And I loved it. Uh, it's it's the dark side of journalism. Uh, Belle Pauly, solid performance, but she looks – it's. She looks like a really old lady, but she's like in her twenties. She's like a, she looks re- like her face makes her look like she's a sixty year old woman that's like p- playing like you know like the orphan movie, mm. like she's pretending to be young. It's so weird. And then Jacob Tremblay, that kid is growing up to look weird as fuck as a teenager. Well, I mean, he's going through a growth thing. Yeah, like that's I mean, not he his. does a solid performance. Like he's always been solid in everything. Like he's going to definitely win some Oscars in the future, but. He looked really weird in this. I was like, that's the kid from Good Boys, and he looks like this now? They could honestly make a sequel. If they if they look goofy like this, I would love to see a sequel of them like, as teenagers. I mean, teenagers. babe, teenage years are already they awkward. Are. So and awkward. then, like, I was thinking about that, yeah. That's not his fault, though. Oh, I'm, of course not. I'm yeah. sure you look awkward, too. I look yeah. awkward. There are some, there's some very problematic things that Mia does where the audience, we were all like, what the fuck? Um... And that got kind of like weird, but it takes it, it pushes the story forward. It's not too distracting where it deviates from what the the main character wants, which is to be successful in this exclusive uh, uh, class and be a successful journalist. And Tracy Ellis Ross is like the thing that keeps propelling her to keep making these compromising decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's a very commanding performance. Again, I want 
as many eyeballs on this as possible because I definitely think that there's potential for her to get some accolades for this. Um, so the movie itself, I would give it a medium, but Tracy Ellis Rusk is an XL. Like her performance Ooh. is phenomenal. It's it's probably my oh. favorite performance at the, the the festival. Oh, we can separate that now. The actor from well, the I'm movie. Well, I'm just you know just you know it's Tracy. I Ellis mean, Ross, don't so. you, listen. You let me bend some rules. I'd be adding like you know, bags of M&M and sprinkling some popcorn You flavor. already do that sometimes, you know. So, now I'm just going to start separating the actors from the... I mean, sometimes it is necessary. I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but overall, I thought that it was a good Tribeca Film Festival. Yes. I did not get to participate in it as much as I would have wanted to. Um, but, you know... It's always next year. Yeah, I mean, we landed and hit yeah, Tribeca right. running, yeah. like you know. Next day, yeah. So I would say there was a lot happening on our end. Um, but we're always super grateful to, to go to yeah. have the opportunity, go to try participate as, as critics and, Absolutely. you know, just be in the mix of it. And especially in, in our home in New mm -hmm. York city, you know, it's really exciting and important to us as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate Tribeca for the opportunity and looking forward to uh, next year if you'll have us. Um, but until then folks, uh, you can follow the show, as always, at Medium P Podcast and all the social media platforms. You can follow me at American Collins, AmericanCollins.com. I got some show dates coming up. Definitely be sure to check out the show uh, page on my website. Get some tickets for anything that tickles your fancy. And then, Tati, how can people follow you? Follow me on Instagram at Bodiqua Collins. All right. And then, folks, remember, we were an independent uh, entity, so we don't refer any publications. We just cover these film festivals because we know that you all love to hear our thoughts on movies, and we want to give you a heads up on anything good that's going to be coming through the pipeline. So if you uh, have, uh, you know, the ability to support us, please uh, consider joining Patreon at patreon.com slash media popcorn. We have $2, $5, $10, and $15 tiers that all provide hundreds and hundreds of bonus hours of content. Um, so anything anything helps or if money's too tight just leave us a five-star review in your favorite podcast application we will read it on the show but uh, patreon.com slash media popcorn really is where it's at so if you have the money and the time come on and uh, drop a line awesome or we a coin <laughs> right. we love you for listening yep we love you we hold you and we'll talk to you soon bye We are two niggas spoiling movies. Yeah. Brandon Collins. That's me. And Justin Brown for your moving needs. Medium popcorn. Woo! You haven't seen it, well, we're gonna spoil it. Spoil it in your face. That's your warning. Uh. So if you get pisses or you're